You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. Throughout this pandemic, we've heard a great deal about infection control protocol, CDC guidelines, ADA recommendations, and it goes on and on. But what we haven't heard much about are things we can do to communicate all this to our patients and community. And this means effective marketing strategies. To tell us more about marketing our infection prevention and control protocol is Mary Gavoni, an internationally recognized speaker, author, and consultant. Mary has been working with dental teams for more than 40 years on clinical efficiency, infection prevention, ergonomics, and team communication. She has a master's in business administration and is an RDH and CDA. Before we get started, I would like to thank our two podcast sponsors, SciCan and Cranberry. SciCan provides infection control solutions worldwide for any size dental practice. Known as the maker of the Statum Cassette Autoclave, the fastest cassette autoclave on the market, SciCan's global network of infection control experts develop real-world solutions based on cutting-edge technology, effective workflow, and sound ergonomics, making for better and safer patient care. And many of us know the company Cranberry. Since 1988, Cranberry has specialized in the development, manufacturing, and distribution of protective infection control solutions, placing utmost importance on superior quality, protection, comfort, and strength. Cranberry has established itself as a leader in the dental industry with its stellar line of premium gloves, masks, and rubber dams. So again, thank you, SciCan and Cranberry, for your partnerships. Both companies have great products and have been instrumental in bringing top-notch Viva Learning Online CE to the dental profession. And this, of course, includes our current speaker, Mary Gavoni. Mary, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Pleasure to be here, Phil. Thank you very much. We're really happy to have you on the show today. We know how busy your schedule is. So this is a kind of a unique topic. It's not something that is talked about too often. You know, we talk about the infection control protocol, um, which is now more commonly referred to as infection prevention and control protocol. And nobody, or at least that I know of, talks specifically about how that message gets across to the patient. Because if they don't know about all the things the doctor's doing and they don't have the confidence in coming back to the practice and they don't think it's safe, what's the point of having all this great infection control protocol if patients are still afraid to come? Why is marketing infection control protocol so important? Absolutely. I, I think it is more important than it's ever been. It came into focus back in the late 1980s, early 1990s during the HIV AIDS epidemic and people were fearful. Patients wanted their own instruments and their own handpieces, and they were concerned. But then things started to die down. But the incidence of AIDS and HIV wasn't as widespread as um, coronavirus has been and in such a short time. So things kind of got complacent. And we don't really have any hard data yet, but I think we'll see some in the next few months or so as we find out that there are patients that are fearful about going to the dental practice because they're hearing about these infectious aerosols and if everybody's wearing face masks, can I go there safely? I don't know if it's all right or not. And infection prevention and control is something I think that even the teams have sort of taken for granted over the years that it becomes something um, very much of a habit or just a, a rote kind of a, a procedure and they don't necessarily all follow the same protocol in a practice. I found that's kind of 
um, a little disconcerting. You know, one team member does something their way and another one does it another way and there isn't that consistency. But patients, I believe, are going to be way more observant than they ever have been. And so if they see one prof dental professional wearing, you know, their full um, face shield, face mask, gloves, gown, and they see someone else who's not wearing all those things, they're going to wonder why not. Again, it's about inconsistencies. If patients come in one day and someone takes their temperature and they make them sign their questionnaire form, but the next time they come in or another family member comes in and those things aren't done, patients are going to begin to question or they'll wonder, well, why is it one way and then it's another way? We have to be consistent and we have to let our patients know how much we do. And I think it's especially important for practices that are deciding to charge a fee for infection prevention and control, then they absolutely have to make their patients aware of what it is that's being done differently than it was before. Yeah, so that's all very important stuff you just mentioned, and we'll get into some of the specifics of marketing your dental practice with your infection control protocols. Before we get to that, can you go over what are the most important guidelines an office should be following? Because if they're not following the right guidelines, they're not implementing the right protocols, and then they're not marketing the right protocols. So the guidelines are really important. If you can briefly touch on that. Absolutely. Well, the first thing I would do is remind everyone that just because the guidance that we have from CDC and our full set of guidelines from 2003 from the CDC are called guidelines, it doesn't mean they're voluntary because in most states, the State Dental Practice Act mentions or requires compliance with CDC infection prevention guidelines for patient safety. So many practices will say, well, if OSHA says we have to do something, then we'll follow OSHA, the Bloodborne Pathogen Standard. And OSHA also issued interim guidance for practices during the, the COVID outbreak. And of course, not only the 2003 CDC guidelines, but the CDC interim guidance during the COVID response. So all of those guidelines essentially say the same things and they may not be things that the patients like to hear. Probably the the biggest um, bugaboo, if you will, is the wearing of N95 respirators. People don't like that. They're expensive. They're uncomfortable. They have to be fit tested. They don't care for that. But that's what all those guidelines say. And I see some practices promoting the fact that they follow all the CDC guidelines, but wow, patients may be able to evaluate that and know whether they are or not because all that information is out there in public view on the CDC website. So if you're making that claim, then you better be able to back it up. And what about the ADA guidelines? Well, the ADA, um, as I always say, has done an amazing job of keeping all of their members informed and they align themselves with CDC, they align themselves with OSHA, but in some cases, especially with OSHA, they have a little bit different interpretation of OSHA standards. And so while it's not a bad thing to follow ADA guidance or guidelines, they are the ADA is not a legal or a regulatory authority. So theirs truly are recommendations. They aren't mandatory to follow, but by the same token, they are certainly important for dental practices, dentists, and, and their teams to be aware of. 
What are the different ways an office can maintain communications to convey their message of safety to their patients and their community? Well, I think every practice needs to have a multi-pronged approach to this. And most of the tools that they would need for that communication, they are already utilizing for other purposes, for example, their website to market themselves to their current patients, but also to attract new patients. And some of the marketing research that I've read recently says that websites are the number one way that patients find a, a new dentist, or they even if they get a personal ref referral about a dentist, they're still going to a website to check that out. So utilizing the website to convey that message of safety and good infection prevention protocols is great. I've encouraged a lot of the practices that I work with to create a separate page so they have a tab on their um, homepage on their website that they can go and click on it and it's titled something like patient safety or infection prevention. Um, I really like patient safety because that really focuses patients in on what they wanna know. And then utilizing that website as a vehicle for getting the screening forms that need to be done prior to a patient coming in, get them completed and uploaded back to the practice even incorporating videos like a virtual tour of a practice to show um, the sterilization area and how they're disinfecting. And I've seen some great posts, not only on, on websites, but on social media channels of practices using a little bit of sense of humor and showing their new PPE and having contests about guess who this is um, underneath all this PPE and you win, you know, you want to card to Starbucks or, or something, um, making a contest out of it. So social media channels, I think, are, are utilized by many practices, but not by enough practices. I think just taking advantage of that very low cost um, marketing tool to get messages out there and to make sure that they're hitting all the right demographics. And, and so using multiple channels, Facebook, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, Snapchat, whatever that the practice feels is appropriate that fits within their, their brand, use those channels. Let the, the uh, patients know, let the world know what you're doing to keep them safe, to be educating um, everyone on the team about um, safety and, and even better infection prevention, um, making sure that you always keep that information up to date. If things change, then perhaps some of the videos or the posts that you've done might need to be taken down or, or redone. Um, and I think we're gonna continue to have changes as we go along with increasing numbers of cases perhaps. And if we have another um, another peak, then you know we may have to slow down our practices again. And it's a way through social media, through websites to be able to communicate that to our patients. If we have to postpone appointments again for patients, a great way to tell them, you know, we're doing this because we want to be as safe as possible. We don't want to put anybody at risk. So we know it's an inconvenience, but we're going to wait a few weeks before we open our practice back up again. I hope that doesn't happen, but it's a possibility. Yeah, that, that would be a terrible shame. We really want oh. to go back to work. I know it's been, oh, I know. the dentists and the dental team have been through enough. Um, they have. Yeah, it's been rough. I mean, just 
what you're listing here is great information, but to, to do this and implement this along with running a dental practice, some of these offices don't have a ton of people in them. A lot of them work with just one or two staff members, or maybe three, and some of them are not real familiar with the internet as well as they should be. So I guess this can be outsourced to a third party. There are plenty of people that are in the, the gig world, as they say. They're you know freelancers that they can help create a video or something. So it's it's just a matter of the, actually, the dentists don't have a choice. They actually have to do this. I really they think do. they have to do this. Now, you talked, you, in your, you talked in your webinar about scheduling and confirmation. What right. can be done during scheduling and confirmation to also reinforce that message of safety? Oh, I think there's lots of things. But I just want to go back to your point before that, yes, people may be operating on, on less numbers of staff and, and not really knowing what to do. But while there's so many online tutorials where you can learn how to create videos, do a Instagram live, and all you really need to do to create those videos is your cell phone or a tablet. It's so fast and so easy to do. They don't have to be professionally edited or anything like that. In fact, sometimes they're a little bit more meaningful when they are, um, I don't mean unprofessional in, in the sense of inappropriate, but not professionally done, that they're right. real. Personal, too. personal. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, absolutely. A, that's a very good point. And that's true. You know, you could film full length feature films with an iPhone. You can certainly do this. Oh, you sure yeah, can. You sure can. Yeah. But scheduling and, and confirmation is something that a lot of practices are struggling with right now to remember, to get themselves into a new routine because everyone must be screened before they come in. So one or two days before they come in, we have a list of questions. The ADA developed a great patient questionnaire that um, helps us to identify potential risks of somebody who may be COVID positive or who may have been exposed. And so we have to be asking those questions. We should be asking the questions when a patient calls to schedule and when we're confirming their appointments. And if you can do that using your technology, for example, using uh, your software app that you might use for your phone system, something like Weave or something like Solution Reach or Lighthouse or any of the services, Revenue Well, they all have these great templates out there that you can use for asking the patients the questions and getting the information back to you. So I would say let technology be your friend, fully utilize all the features in the technology that your subscription includes and make that a great way to um, to get that information. But mostly it's about making sure again that we're consistent, that everybody gets screened and that the whole team is well-versed on what that screening needs to be. Because if, for example, one of the clinical team members happens to be helping out to confirm appointments or they're scheduling appointments and they don't normally do, and they make a statement like, well, oh, I forgot this, or oh, I'm not used to doing this. This is not usually my job. That is not what conveys confidence to huh, patients. Sure. Everybody sure. needs to practice. It's kind of like that service that you get at Disney or the Ritz-Carlton that, you know, everyone conveys the same message and everyone um, follows the same protocol. And it's not that we want everybody to be a robot, but consistency is key. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Patients notice when something is inconsistent, especially when it comes to their safety. So how can a dental practice communicate safe when a patient comes to the office? So I'm a patient, I come into the office, 
you know, you mentioned this in your webinar, which I recommend to everybody. The same title as the podcast. It's on VivaLearning.com. You can look up Mary Gavoni or look up the webinar title. You'll find it. And it really is fantastic. But you showed some images, actually, of different types of offices, different facilities. Um, and you categorize them as clean, organized, uncluttered, aseptic, but they may not be the most high tech. So if you could give us some examples of what a dentist and a dental team can do to convey that message when the patient actually comes to the office. Absolutely. And as I said in the webinar, the practices don't have to all be, you know, opulent and very expensively decorated, but they absolutely need to be clean. So that means that you shouldn't have stains on your carpet. If you have carpet in your reception area or heaven forbid carpet still in the treatment rooms, that needs to be cleaned at the very least, perhaps replaced if it's really bad or is there a way to cover it up if you can't afford to replace the carpet? We need to walk all the way around the office and see if we have wallpaper. Is there any wallpaper that's kind of um, coming up at the edges? Are there any torn seams? Do we have paint chips on on the walls? Is, are dust bunnies in the in the corners or cobwebs? Because any of that conveys a message of it not being clean and clean to a patient, clean to most everyone also translates into aseptic. And having a lot of clutter also does not convey a message of clean or aseptic. And clutter, there's a lot of studies out there that show how much clutter actually affects us all psychologically. It can be depressing, it can be stressful, and so we all could benefit from uncluttering our situation, and then it makes it, of course, easier to clean and easier to disinfect. And one of the recommendations that we keep hearing over and over again, especially in the treatment rooms, is get as many things that you possibly can off the countertops. And it just so it looks very very simple and clean and patients in their minds can understand that, oh yeah, they can really easily disinfect this because if there's stuff sitting around everywhere, I just can't imagine how what it would make patients feel like, whoa, I wonder what's lurking up there on all those things sitting around. Another very, very positive thing to demonstrate um, safety to patients is to make sure that we don't open up instrument cassettes or pouches until the patient actually is seated in the chair. And I understand why a lot of teams like to do it. They want to be ready. They want to have everything all done and out and they can sit down and, and start working on the patient. However, things have changed. We know that there could be some infectious aerosols still in the air that could settle out if we open those instruments up too soon. Plus patients want to know where their instruments came from. They want to know that those instruments have truly been sterilized. And then we also have to look at, you know, what do we look like on a given day? Now, having said that, I understand everybody is going crazy over all this extra PPE, but even something as simple as changing our gown or changing our, our lab coat after every patient like the CDC is recommending to us, that makes a pretty strong statement to a patient, especially when they see you do it. Now, some of the portions of the CDC guidelines say that the PPE ought to be 
put on or donned outside the treatment room. And I don't know that I necessarily agree with putting everything on outside the treatment room. I think two things. One is patients want to see us wash our hands, whether it's with soap and water or alcohol hand sanitizer. And I think they want to see us put our gloves on when we come into the treatment room. So whether or not it makes sense to maybe have your gown in one hand and your gloves in the other and you put your gown on and then you set your gloves down and wash your hands and then put your gloves on. I think that makes a pretty positive statement to the patient because they know you haven't worn those things on a previous patient. Yeah, without a doubt. Putting your gloves on in front of the patient to me is huge. That's huge. Um, more important than the gown, but um, yeah, I, for I think sure so. the gloves. Yes. Even a mask. For sure. Well, the mask, what's your feeling about the mask? Should they come in with a mask on? I think it might be easier for them to come in with the with their especially if they're wearing a respirator because what you need to do when you put your N95 respirator on is a seal check and you do that by cupping your hands over that that respirator and making sure that there isn't air leaking out from the the edges of that respirator when you exhale and then making sure that when you inhale the the respirator will kind of um, cave in just a little bit um, so you know that you're truly breathing in and out through that respirator and i'm not sure that the patient necessarily needs to see that so if you put your respirator on outside the treatment room put your face shield on if you're going to wear a hair covering get that all on before you come in and put your gown on but save the hand hygiene and the gloves for in the treatment room then the patients know for sure it's kind of interesting when we first started using regularly using alcohol hand sanitizers in dental practices i heard from a number of um, professionals quite a few that said you know my patients think i haven't washed my hands if they don't hear the water running so whether we do it at the sink with soap and water and they can hear you even if they can't see you because you're behind them washing your hands if you're going to use hand sanitizer then do a pump or two however much you're supposed to use in your hands and stand and talk to the patients while you are um, cleaning your hands because you should keep rubbing your hands until all the the product has evaporated so that's a good thing to do that it's reinforcing that message of safety and you're having a conversation with the patient at the same time. Right. Now, what about taking the patient around the office to show them the sterilization room, for instance, or just to allay their fears and say, hey, we're just going to show you some of the technology we have. You might want to show the, the, the patient the quality gloves that, that you're using in the practice, that these are top-notch premium gloves, masks, um, or even sterilizers, like, like, for instance, the statum, which is something that is very well known by SciCan. Is that the kind of thing that you would say is, is useful? Oh, absolutely. But if you're going to, and there's no issue about showing the gloves and the masks typically, but if you're going to take your patient around and show them the, the sterilization area, then make sure that sterilization area is clean and uncluttered. And if you have, some practices still have um, laminate countertops that over the years have delaminated and they don't look so good, then if you can't afford to replace that right now, and I can understand that, then find a way to cover those areas up so that they don't look so bad to your patients. And 
then show them that absolutely nothing wrong with um, even demonstrating, you know, how the sterilizer works. This, you know, we have, and many practices will have a statum and they'll have another um, larger chamber sterilizer. And you can say, you know, we use this one for our hand pieces and we use this for larger instrument packs and it takes this amount of time and they can explain even about spore testing their sterilizers. And I would work with manufacturers like Cycan because they have good training videos about their um, products, how to use them. So practices can glean a lot of good information that would be important points perhaps to tell the patients about their equipment. And of course, emphasizing that they do a spore test every week. And if they're putting an, uh, an integrator in every load in their sterilizer, they can show that. Um, there's so many things and they can do. Is this done by the uh, infection prevention control coordinator, if there is one? Yes, I think so. And I, I, I see a movement starting within dentistry, and this was supported by many um, industry members like Cycan and like Cranberry to help um, OSAP, the Organization for Safety, Asepsis, and Prevention, and the Dental Assisting National Board to actually create a training program, a training course, and uh, certification for the person who is the the infection prevention coordinator in a practice. So they have a higher level of education, higher level of understanding of infection prevention and control, and they validate that by taking a certification exam. And that's also been created for the industry side as well. And so that person who has that level of of information and expertise and who's been designated as the, the go-to person absolutely could be the person who does a tour for every patient or you film it on someone's cell phone as a virtual tour. You know, hi, I'm Mary, I'm the infection prevention um, coordinator for Dr. Klein's practice and I'm happy to um, show you all the things we do to keep you safe. And I just go around the office and I show them how we disinfect. I show them how all the personal protective equipment that we wear and how we sterilize our instruments. It's such a great way to promote the practice. Yeah, I would be impressed if I was a patient and, and someone took me around to say, hey, we understand your fears. Take a look at what we're doing here. This will make you feel obviously much more confident about coming to our practice. What about signage in the office? Would you have any actual physical signage that a patient would see in the hallway or in the operatory to talk about some of the, the things that the office is doing during COVID? I would, absolutely. There are a number of educational informational posters that are available from the CDC that talk about um, covering your cough or wearing a mask, hand hygiene, and symptoms of COVID. You can use those. And also a sign on your door to say, please put on a face mask or a face covering. Many people are, are liking to call them face coverings. Please put a face covering on before you walk into the door. So that applies not only to the patients, it applies to vendors or delivery um, people, your mail carrier, your FedEx, your UPS delivery person, all of those folks. So absolutely, I would post that sign right on the door and directions for patients for doing hand hygiene and absolutely so that patients see that you take it very seriously. You know, my last question was, how does a practice balance fear and trust? But we've kind of covered all that. It's all mm -hmm. bundled into everything you talked about. Is there anything else you would want to add to end this podcast talking about 
balancing fear and trust and getting the patients to to say, you know, I need dental work. I've been postponing it long enough. You know, we're not out of this yet, but is there any anything else they can do to manage that balancing act? I can't stress enough how important it is for the teams to discuss this whole issue, that they really need to sit down and have some very frank discussions about um, what what does the team see as patient fears? They may need to survey patients. What are you afraid? What would make you afraid about coming back to the practice? And really sitting down and examining what is our philosophy and what does our brand say about us? Um, and, and I think that's something that we just, we get so caught up in the busyness of every day and trying to see so many patients, as many as we can, and now we're backing off of that a little bit, at least for now. So I think we have more time now to have those discussions and the team should be committing to making sure that they carry that message forward as they start ramping up and getting busier. We can't ever lose sight of how much this has affected everyone economically and, and emotionally and that we learn to be better because of this, that we're stronger, we send a stronger message, we reassure our patients more than ever that we were doing a good job before, and some people are a little defensive about that. Well, we were doing a good job before, but maybe we weren't doing the best. Who I, I wouldn't want to say that to a patient, obviously, but that's the inside voice or the internal discussion that we have with, the, with everybody in the practice. Were we really doing our best and how can we always work to do it better as opposed to what the some of the mindset of some of the people is, how can I get around following that guideline or that requirement instead of doing the right thing or doing what's best and not whining and complaining about it? Yes, that actually makes so much sense. Um, that was a great recap, Mary. We did in the past have lots of infection control protocol that we needed to adhere to, but this is just such a game changer, this COVID pandemic, world pandemic. It's just hit dentists so hard. And among all the other things they have to worry about in running a dental practice and all the other challenges, having this on top of it with aerosol being like the number one public enemy, the dental mm -hmm. practice is just so burdened right now to do everything right and it must be very stressful for a dental practice owner. There's no doubt about it. And I, my heart goes no, out okay. to all of them. Um, I agree. My heart goes out to everyone. I know that this has just been so stressful. And now we've got so many more things we're piling up on these doctors. And I think the most important thing to keep in mind is what is the best thing to protect my patients, my team, myself, and my family? Right, exactly. Amen to that. Again, I would like to thank our sponsors, Cranberry, a leading manufacturer of premium gloves, masks, and rubber dams, and Cycan, the infection control specialist providing infection control solutions for any size practice. Mary, you've been such an incredible asset to the profession with all your educational contributions you've been making over the past couple of months. You've done webinars for Viva Learning. I know you've done your own stuff and you've written ebooks and everything else. So please check out Mary Gavoni's website. What What is your website? Mary Gavoni, G-O-V-O-N-I.com. Mary Gavoni.com. Yeah. So visit that site. There's amazing amount of resources there. Mary's been phenomenal uh, with working every day for the last probably eight weeks without a single day off. And eventually this will calm down and you'll get, start to get some time off. But um, until then, we'll probably need you again soon. I don't doubt it. You'll get a call from me. Uh, but 
we really want to thank you for your contributions and we look forward to you on your next podcast or next webinar. And until then, everybody stay safe. Mary, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Phil. Appreciate it.